great. Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, as we go through it now, um, encourage us, strengthen us, and let us know what we bring to the table in this life. How can we impact the world by what you've given inside of us and what is in your word? Lord, thank you for your word as we go through it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last August 1st, we began our journey through the book of Romans with Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And today, we come to Romans chapter 15, and next Sunday, we'll finish it up with Romans chapter 16, followed by uh, Palm Sunday and then the resurrection um, on Easter Sunday. So um, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot in the book of Romans. We've learned uh, about justification by faith. We've learned that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've learned uh, what a life looks like that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And now it's time to put all this into practice. At Calvary Chapel, we don't teach verse by verse just so we can make your heads real big with all this theological knowledge. We teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you can take this teaching and apply it to your life. So let's look at it. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. The first thing a Christian brings to this life is a life of selfless service. That's the first thing that you have to offer this world as a believer. You don't live to please yourself. You help people out in difficult times. My question for you is, who's number one in your life? It should be the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in humility. Jesus should be number one. Number two should be people, and then ourselves. Notice um, in verse 1, it says, uh, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses. That, 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 word, that phrase, bear the weaknesses, that word bear means to carry, to take up by the hand, to sustain, to say, I will walk you through this difficult situation. That is part of the Christian life, is that we reach out to other people and we help them through their difficult times that we, we, we take them by the hand, that we bear the burden with them. That's what we're called to do as Christians, to help those who are less fortunate, to help those who are hurting, to help those in need, and, and, and bear their struggles with them, to carry them, to take them up by the hand. And look at verse 3. Paul calls to our attention the highest example. For even Christ did not please himself, 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, how did Christ not please himself? He left the glory of heaven for the reproach of man. He was spit upon, he was hit, he was slapped, and he was ultimately crucified at the hands of sinful man. Why? Because he was placing you first. Because he had you on his mind. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. That was the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. He had you and I on his mind on his way to Calvary. Verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So the first thing a Christian brings to this world, the first thing a Christian brings to this world is one, selfless service. The second thing a Christian brings to this, to this world, what, bring, what he brings to the table is he brings, you bring hope. You bring hope. Jesus brings hope in this life to transform us and change us and take our dire situation and put us on a new path. Whether it's a, a, a wrecked marriage, a wrecked life, he brings us hope for this life. Hope is expectation of coming good. In other words, when Christ comes into our life, he has the ability and the power to change our future. And we offer that hope to people. But also, the hope that he brings is in eternity. Do you know there's a place called heaven? Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. For what I saw, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. But you know that there is a real place called the third heaven. And it's a hope that will not fade our hope that's in heaven. He brings hope. So when we're down in this life and things aren't going the way, they, the way we like for them to, and life throws us a curveball, we don't lose hope. Because we have an eternal hope and we have a hope in this life. And that's the second thing that the gospel in us that we present to the world is we offer the world hope through Jesus Christ and his power to transform and change lives and in eternity. And in eternity. Uh, where does the hope come from according to verse 4? It says, uh, at the very end, it says, the encouragement of the scriptures. It comes from the word of God. Our hope comes from this book. You're, this, that book you have in your hand, the Bible, is living it's active. It's the living word of God. Second, uh, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's his holy word. Hebrews 4.12, talking about the word of God being living, says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of of the heart. Our hope is founded in God's word, and God's word does not fade. 
Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away before one dot, before one diddle passes away. It's his word, and it is our hope. Look at verse 5. Now may the God who, who gives you perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with, with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing that you as a believer bring to the table of life is you bring unity to the body of Christ. You bring unity in, within the fellowship of God. We, we talked about last week um, in Romans chapter 14. We what? We don't divide over scruples. One Christian has liberty to drink wine. One Christian says, alcohol is not touching my lips. And we have unity over the scruples. Uh, we... Um, Charismatic believers believe in speaking in tongues. Christian over here doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. We don't divide over scruples, over, over matters of conscience. Uh, me and uh, Rick Hipkins here, we meet every other week. And uh, we, we meet at Panera Bread, have, have a um, donut and coffee and talk and have fellowship. Well, Rick, he believes in the pre-wrath view of the great tribulation. And he, that is his position. He believes it. I'm a pre-tribulation. We, dis, we, we, don't, we don't agree on those things. But we don't divide. Here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's what when it boils down to. Both me and Rick, we both believe in a future rapture. We both believe in a future tribulation. We both believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. The only difference is we have different timelines. But we don't divide over those things. We, we, we don't divide over things that are not essential. We maintain the unity within the body of Christ. It says there um, in verses 5 and 6, it says, we're to have the same mind, we're to be in one accord, and we're to have one voice. It means we're to be in harmony. We're to, we're to be um, consistent one another. Why? To protect the unity within the body to protect the unity within the body. And that's what, we, as a, as a, that's what we as believers bring when we come to the body of Christ. We, we bring unity. We, we don't divide, uh, except for when it's, when it's biblical, orthodox Christianity. Now, if we have disagreements over um, the authority of Scripture or who Jesus is or his death or his resurrection or the virgin birth, the, the doctrines of the Christian faith, we divide over those. But on, on secondary issues, we don't divide. We maintain unity. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Part of our Christian service when we come to the body of Christ is we bring a heart to, to bring unity to the body and to work together to be the same mind, to be one accord, to be one voice, just like the early church was, just like Jesus would have us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. Verse 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy 
as it is written, therefore I will praise, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. Again, he says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, what's going on here? Context. Context. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. Last week, Romans chapter 14, he was talking about um, the scruples, about matters of conscience. In verses, chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, is a continuation of, of Romans 14. And the Jews and the Gentiles, they're clashing. They're clashing over these disputable matters. So what does Paul do? He calls four witnesses. Samuel, Moses, uh, from the Old Testament, he calls Samuel, Moses, David, and Isaiah. And he's telling the Christian Jews, hey guys, embrace, embrace the Gentile believers. Don't divide over these secondary issues, but embrace them. And that brings me to my fourth point of what you and I bring to this world. We, as Christians, to the world, we bring an invitation that says, whosoever will come, let them come. We don't judge people by their outer appearance. We say, Whosoever will come, let them come. Let them come unto the Lord. We see people as Jesus sees them. We view people with a biblical worldview. And we see every single human being, man, woman, old, young, all colors of skin, we see them as people that Jesus loves and that people that Jesus died for and people that Jesus wants to rescue. As I was reading this passage, I couldn't help but to think of the uh, Chuck and Kay Smith, Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel began in 1965 in Southern California. And uh, Chuck and Kay were in Southern California, and they saw all these hippies down on the beach. And all these, these hippies, they had long hair, they, they, they smelled, they didn't have no shoes, and they were rough-looking people. And the church, for the most part, in the, in the late 60s, had rejected them, had shunned them, had pushed them away from the church. But Chuck and Kay Smith said, no, you guys come with us. You, you come with us, come to, come to this church we're starting called Calvary Chapel, and we'll teach you the Bible. And that we have to have the same heart towards people, that whosoever will come, let them come. That is the distinctive of Calvary Chapel. You know, whosoever will come, let them come. I heard one story once where... Um, all these hippies and drug addicts and people were coming to Calvary Chapel at Costa Mesa and the elders went to Chuck Smith and said, hey, they're getting the carpet dirty. We just, put, we just spent all this money on brand new carpet and these kids are coming in with no shoes and they're all dirty and they're dirtying up the carpet. You know what Chuck Smith said to them? Tear the carpet out. Tear the carpet out because we're going to teach God's word. And whosoever will come, let them come. And we have to have the same heart towards people today. We have to have the exact same heart towards people. We, we, um, we don't judge people by their outer appearance, but we, we, we present to them the gospel. Verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number five, if you're taking notes, what a Christian brings to this life is we bring a life filled with the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of a believer, he can transform you and set you free from addiction, from bondage, from the old habits. And let me tell you something. If you're wrestling with them and you're struggling with them, you just got to press into the Lord. You got to press into him and ask the Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to do surgery on your heart. That's available by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be a witness. He gives us a, the power to be a witness so that when we present the gospel to people, it's powerful and it's effective and it gets to the heart. He gives us a victory to have a transformed life, to, to make us a witness and to give us victory over sin and temptation. You can walk in victory. You don't have to struggle. The Holy Spirit coming inside, dwelling inside of us, and, and, and being in God's word will, has the ability to set you free and to break away from old habits. But you got to stay in his presence. you got to stay in his presence. you got to spend time in prayer. you got to spend time in the word. And you got to stay in his presence. And he can set you free by the power of God's spirit dwelling in us. Let's look at verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Now we know from Scripture that um, Paul did not establish the church at Rome. It was, it was possibly established by early Christians from the day of Pentecost who went out but Paul did not establish a church at Rome. He hadn't been there yet. But notice he says, I've written very boldly to you on some points. Those some points were the doctrines of the Christian faith. The book of Romans, which we know, the cathedral of Christian truth, the doctrine of justification, that there's no condemnation, the spirit dwelling in us. The condemnation of man from Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. But that's what he's talking about there. On some points, I've written very boldly to you on some points. The, the, um, the book of Romans is clearly um, lays out the gospel the most, in the most beautiful way. And, and, and the way it's, it's, it's laid out, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 shows, shows God's judgment, man's condemnation. Romans chapter 4 through Romans chapter 8 shows the power of the gospel dwelling in us and the spirit coming. And then uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, God's plan for Israel. And then Romans 12 on is application. Is application. But Paul is establishing this with his church that he hasn't even gone to yet. Verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. couple things there. First off, this gospel is whose? It's God's gospel. It's God's gospel. And that's the way we have to view it. It's his 
gospel from heaven to us. And then he says there, um, ministering as a priest of the gospel, so that he, he's preaching, he's teaching, establishing the Gentile church. He says, my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. For the church to be established rightly, we got to understand the gospel. We got to be understand the gospel so that the offering is acceptable. We've got to understand that a person is saved by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Within that receiving, it's a, a repentance. It's a, it's a heart attitude that you turn away from sin and you turn to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit comes in and dwells inside of us. And we're no longer living under the law. We're no longer living under legalism. But we're leave, living a Spirit-filled life. We've got to understand those. We've got to understand those and embrace them. Amen? Verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Verse 19. In the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Iconium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. This brings me to my sixth point of what you as a believer bring to this world. Do you understand what you have in your heart and in your hands right now? You have the glorious good news of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it separates men from an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. Hell is a real place where it says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies and it goes on for all eternity. And the only thing that can save a soul from perishing in a place called hell is this right here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and notice what he says there in verse 19. He says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When we present the gospel, we, we don't make it soft. We, we don't make it squishy. We make it clear and, 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 and easy to understand. And we do whatever it takes to persuade men to turn to Christ. As I was, as I was studying this passage this week, um, one of the things that came to my mind is uh, when, it, when we talk about fully preaching the gospel and sharing it, and when you fully preach it, it's, it's powerful and it's effective and it plants seeds, is uh, this young man right here in the blue shirt, Nicholas, who's visiting with us this morning. I, I called him yesterday. And I said, hey, man, Nick, why don't you um, come out to Calvary Chapel Irma tomorrow because I'm going to be talking about you. He said, okay. But anyway, me and Nicholas, we go back about 10 or 15 years, and me and Nicholas were um, doing some street evangelism. We were down here on Harbison Boulevard at Columbiana Grand Theater. We were handing out gospel tracts. <laughs> it was a very interesting afternoon because there were security guards. So we'd have to wait until the security guards weren't looking. But anyway, we were handing out gospel tracts. And I'll never forget there were these group of teenagers coming by, and I handed this young lady a gospel tract. I said, hey, did you get one of these? 
she noticed it was a gospel track, and she said, don't give me that crap. And she threw it on the ground. Sorry. You know, and we kept on going. About an hour, about 30, 45 minutes later, we came back by, and she was sitting there on the bench, and me and Nicholas walked up to her. And I said, uh, I forgot what her name was. I said, so what did you think about that gospel track? And I noticed she had a cross. She had a necklace with a cross and Jesus on it. And she said, I'm not into that. And I said, you're not into what? I said, well, what do you believe happens when a person steps into eternity? And I forgot what she said. She, she went into some rambling. And I said, well, let me just share this with you. I said, can I, sh- can I share with you what Scripture says, what, what the gospel is? She said, sure. And this young lady, who started off very defensive and had her shield up, me and Nicholas watched and witnessed as that shield melted and she was so humbled that she was coming to tears. But I shared with her the gospel, the way the way, way the master does it. And I said, um, I'm just going to call her Kim. I forgot what her name was. And I was like, Kim, would you consider yourself to be a good person? She's like, oh yeah, I'm a good person. I said, have you ever told a lie? You ever stole anything? You ever used God's name in vain? And one by one, she confessed her guilt. And it was like she was being transformed before our very eyes. And I said, what did God do so that you could be forgiven? What, what did God do for you? She couldn't name it. And she had told me that she went to church. I said, what do they teach you in church? You said she went to church. I forgot what church it was. I said, what do they teach you in church? What did God do so you could be forgiven? She couldn't, she couldn't give us an answer. I said, what's that thing around your neck? She was like, oh, the cross. And I was like, at the appointed time, God sent forth, sent forth his son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life. He suffered and died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. I took her through those commandments, just in case you're wondering, not as a legalistic thing, not as, not as a condemning thing, but to show her why Jesus died on the cross. Because many people don't get it. But I took her through those commandments so she could understand what sin is. Because sin is transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. And I, I showed her that, and then I showed her the glorious gospel. About that time, I'm sharing, I'm sharing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for her. to he give her a new life? About that time, her boyfriend walks up to her. Hey, babe! He puts his arm around her, and she goes, get away. And she was like, continue. And me and Nick were like, wow. This girl was transformed before her very eyes. Um, I, I continued to share with her more. You know, I, I, said, I said, Kim, it's about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just simply say, God, please forgive me of my past. Lord Jesus, please come into my life and give me a new life. And she had tears rolling down her cheeks hearing the gospel. It was mind-blowing. Because right here, uh, we fully preached the gospel. I didn't come to her and say, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill, or you need love, joy, peace, and lasting happiness except Jesus I didn't, say, I didn't use none of those methods. I just took her through the, her through the law, 
showed her why Jesus died on the cross, gave her the good news, and I wish we would have got her information. But we didn't. Because me and Nicholas were just floored at seeing this young lady being transformed by the power of the gospel. But we have to, we have to preach it and present it in a biblical, loving way. Not in a judgmental way. In, in, in a way that says, please consider. Please consider this. You know, do it in a loving, kind way not condescending, not judgmental way, but just present this glorious gospel. He offers you eternal life, ma'am. He offers you eternal life. I think I remember when I was talking to her, and this is one that really struck home. I said, question for you, Kim. When you leave this life, how long are you going to be gone for? She looked and she was like, forever. I was like, you're right. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. And it, it was amazing. But we got to fully preach the gospel. It doesn't always turn out that way, guys. I've had people reject, you know, I don't want to have none of that. Uh, it, it doesn't always work out that way. But that's not our job. That's God's job. We just, we just sow the seed. We let him transform the hearts. You know, we, I, I've... We, we got to fully preach the gospel. We got to share it in its completeness. That it's like this. Jesus died on the cross so you could be forgiven. He rose from the grave so that you could have eternal life. And all of that justifies you before the Lord. And you can have a new life, a new start that begins in this life with a new hope, with a transformed life as you move forward in this life and in eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we bring the gospel. We, you, as a Christian, you bring this glorious good news. The gospel, you know what that word means? It means good news. It's good news. It's not religious news. It's not dull and boring news. It's amazing, awesome news that, 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 that transforms lives. Verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you. Paul, Paul wanted to go there. He had heard about them. You know, um, many of the New Testament churches, Corinth, Ephesus, he wrote letters of correction. He, he wrote letters to combat heresy, to, to stay away from legalism. But this one was just a doctrinal letter. And he heard about how strong and how rich that church was, and he wanted to go there. Uh, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, verse 23, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing. 
and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. The seventh thing, the thing I see in the text, that what you bring to the table, what you have to offer this community to your family and to this world is you bring passion. Question for you this morning. It's going to be straight up with you. Is there anything more important than Jesus in your life? Is there anything or person more important than Jesus in your life? If there is, your priorities aren't in order. Your priorities aren't in order. He has to be number one. And I, we have to have a passion for Christ. Uh, it says here, verse 24, wherever I go to Spain. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And if you go to a map and you track his missionary journeys and him going to Spain, he traveled over 10,000 miles. He traveled over 10,000 miles by foot. Why? Because he was driven by the gospel. He knew what he had in his hands. He knew what he had in his heart. The gospel, this glorious good news of Christ Jesus, making a way for sinful man to come into a right relationship with God. Are you driven by the gospel? Are you driven by the gospel? Are you driven by Jesus in your life? That's, that's, where he, that's the direction he wants you to go. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, for many of us, and even myself, I think it's going to turn out this way. One day, we're going to leave this life. We're going to step into the glory of heaven. And we're going to be like, And we're going to think back to life on earth and we're going to be like, man, I wish I would have had more passion because this is amazing. This is awesome. That's, he traveled over 10,000 miles because he was passionate for the gospel. My question for you this morning is, where's your passion? Where's your passion? We have hobbies. We have things we do with our family, things we do with our job. We enjoy, and those are all good. I love going fishing on Lake Murray and going to football games, but the number one thing in my heart and in my life and the thing I want people to see is my passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and my passion for him, my passion for the church, my passion for ministry. And I've only been a pastor now for three years. You know, I served the Lord as a lay person for almost 18 years. So it's not just, that's just not just an expectation of a pastor. That's an expectation of all believers, is that we're passionate about him. Paul was 10,000 miles by foot. That's a lot of walking. That's a lot of walking. I hope you had a lot of moleskins and, and, and replacement sandals and, and all that stuff. But he was passionate about the gospel. He wouldn't let nothing stand in the way. He fought against the Judaizers in, in the regions of Galatia. He, 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 he went to um, Corinth. He went to all these places because he was passionate about the gospel and he was passionate about the call on his life. Man, get on fire for God and let the world come and watch you burn. 
Don't look to the person in front or behind or around. Let him, by his spirit, set a flame in your heart and be passionate about him. Amen? Amen. Verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Next thing a believer brings to the table of this world is we bring a com compassion for the poor. We are called as a church to help those in need. Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Three things we do for the poor. One is we advocate for them. We, we, we advocate for them. We represent for them. We stand in the gap. And we be the voice for them because many times they won't have a voice. Secondly, we defend the poor. As Christians, what we bring to the world, we, we defend the poor from, from harmful things and from mistreatment. And finally, we help the poor. Whether it's cooking, bringing them stuff, giving them uh, finances. Now I'm saying you got to use caution and use wisdom with that, especially when it comes to money. But we're called to help the poor. We're called to help those who are less fortunate. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's wrap this chapter up. Verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and I have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of, of you, to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. There's nothing new, nothing's changed. It's together for the gospel. Christians, churches, Christian organizations, the driving force is we are together for the gospel to make Jesus Christ known, to watch him by the power of his spirit transform lives and make people new and give them the hope of heaven. Verse 31, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you Enjoy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. My question to you this morning is, what do you bring to the table? That, my friend, is what we Christians bring to the table. We bring compassion for the poor. We bring to this world a passion for Christ. We, we, we bring the glorious good news of the gospel. Going with Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and, and the word of God, we bring a, an attitude that says, whosoever will come, let them come. We bring unity to the body of Christ. We bring hope. And, 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 and I love this one. The very first one is we bring a life of selfless service. We bear with the weaknesses 
of those who are going through difficult times. That one is so, so, so important. I was studying this verse yesterday morning, and people in, in this fellowship came to my mind, and it broke my heart, and I spent about an hour in prayer. Because we got to bear with the weaknesses of those who are struggling. And that's our job, is to find those who are hurting, those who are going through difficult situations, and hold their hand and take them through the process. We've got to do that, church. We, we've got to do that. You see somebody hurting? You see somebody going through a difficult situation? You have it inside you. We have it inside of us. And we have it in the word of God. That's what our church, is, 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 that's the, the direction we're moving in. That's the direction we're going. Or we're not worth the carpet we're standing on. You know, we're here to reach people with the gospel. And we're here to live a life of selfless service and to bear the weaknesses of those who are going through difficult times. You know, be the church. Be the church is what we're called to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray by your spirit you'll just stir our hearts. Stir our hearts in these areas to be passionate about you, to be passionate about helping people. And Lord, just consume our hearts with you, Lord God, and what you would have for us to do. Thank you, Lord.